We are going through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians on Wednesday night, and we are beginning a new chapter tonight. So if you'll take your Bibles, join me in Philippians chapter 2, and let's read verses 1 through 11. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Last week, you'll remember we covered verses 28 through 30 of chapter 1. And you can probably tell chapter 2 is a continuation of that thought from chapter 1, just by how that verse opens here. And just as a reminder, the chapter divisions are not Holy Ghost inspired. They were not there originally. The verse numbers were not there. The chapter numbers were not there. They were added for our benefit to easily find our text. Amen. Can you imagine if we all had our own scroll and we're rolling through that thing? Yeah. And so we can say, turn to this place. And so with that in mind, really, this is just one continuous thought here rolling into chapter 2. In verses 27 through 30 of chapter 1, we saw how Paul encouraged them to to live a life that was becoming of the gospel. He wanted them to strive together for the faith of the gospel without fear from the adversaries, to stand fast, nothing wavering. And he mentioned how it's a blessing to be allowed to suffer for Christ's sake. Isn't that strange? But remember in verse 27, Paul wrote about their need to be unified in their life of faith and through their persecutions. He wrote this, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul, he keeps this theme of unity going into chapter 2. And in verse 1, he rhetorically states, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. It wasn't a matter of him doubting that this was the case. He's not saying if, as as I hope this is true. He knows that these are found in Christ, and he doesn't have any doubts about that, but he's writing this with the understanding that the Philippian believers already know these four things here to be true. Number one, he speaks of any consolation in Christ. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word consolation, I think of a game show consolation prize. I don't know how many of you grew up watching game shows, but uh, man, press, press your luck was my show, Amen. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Stop. Come on. Nobody knows this show? Uh, they resurrected that show and it wasn't as good. But you've got to watch the old 70s one, amen? 
And uh, Anyway, you'd get a consolation prize because they wanted you to feel better for being a loser. It was meant to be a comfort. Well, we are not losers in Christ, amen? But consolation is still, it means to comfort. We can see this with no help by considering the root word here, consolation, of, con- of console. In fact, this Greek word is translated in some places as comfort and also as exhortation. Uh, secondly, here he mentions any comfort of love. We can experience what real love is once we are in Christ. We need the love of God and we need the love of the brethren. Many times in the Bible we are commanded about our love for the saints and how we must demonstrate and have this. If we don't, then John wrote, we're not in Christ. What's one of the proofs that you're saved? 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And so, do you have a love for the brethren? 1 John 4, 7-12 through 12, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God in any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. So we need the comfort of love. Number three here, Paul mentions any fellowship of the Spirit. This is actually what makes our fellowship possible. Is the fact that we have the Spirit of God. We are partners together. We have Christ dwelling in us in the Holy Spirit. And without the Spirit of God indwelling the believer, we could not enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit. And this is why there's times where you can walk in a room and immediately there's a connection with somebody. I'll never forget once I walked into a church for the very first time, never met the pastor, never met me, and he came up and said, you're a preacher, why don't you preach? There's a kinship. Our spirits talk to our spirits. Well, that sounds a little spooky, but the Bible does say this in Romans 8-9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And then in verse 16 of that same chapter, it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so if we're constantly wondering whether or not we are in Christ, then you ought to seriously re-examine yourself because those in Christ will have the Spirit of God testifying to their spirit that they belong to God. And if you don't have that, something is off. Either you are lost and in your sin, or you have so quenched and grieved the Spirit in your backslidden condition that you're not sensing that fellowship. Amen. Number four, Paul mentions any bowels and mercies. Uh, This is the tender mercies and compassion of Christ. This is having a true sympathy 
inward affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So there ought to be a tenderness among the brethren. Now, these four things that Paul mentions here, consolation, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, and bowels of mercies, they are spoken of as being in Christ. We know these things to be true because we are in Christ. And for those of you that are saved, you know that these things are found within God's people. And as fellow believers, these attributes should be expressed within the body of Christ. We should have this one for another. That's how Christians should be. Amen? And what Paul is saying is, look, this is the Christian life. This is how we ought to live. To have this kind of life. And so we we can have this kind of affection uh, for each other and for the lost. So I stated earlier, Paul isn't really saying if these things are so. But since he's speaking rhetorically, what he's really saying is, since these things are so, since these things are in Christ, they are to be in you as well because you profess to be in Christ. You should have these things in verse 1. We have become united with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul equates our relationship with Christ as a marriage over in Ephesians chapter 5. Two have become one body, amen. Two have become one in the union we have in Christ. We are the body. He is our head. It is the mystery of the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 30 and verse 32 it says, "...for we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones." And then he says in verse 32, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. We have a special union with Christ. What a blessing to be in Christ tonight, amen? Amen. This world's going crazy. Aren't you glad that you know the Lord? Being united in Christ means this. He's with us wherever we go. It's not that we have Christ in here and we walk out the doors and we're left to ourselves. But He's still with us. We're not left on our own. He's everywhere with us. And therefore, these attributes, get this now, therefore, these attributes ought to be with us at all times. These are the things the world seeks after. But they're looking in all the wrong places. They are desirous to be consoled, to be loved, to have fellowship, and to find tenderness. They may not put it in those words. And we are to be the demonstration of Christ in the world. Demonstrating these four attributes, and there's other things, but sticking with the text here. We should be demonstrating these things to the lost world. 
they look in the wrong places, and when those things are left unfulfilled, they then turn to various vices to drown out what they're missing. And that's how addictions and things happen. That breaks my heart. There's a longing. There is something instinctively inside of someone that is, they're in search of something. We have the answer. We have that, and we ought to be sharing that with others. And so we are to be the demonstration. We are supposed to be the manifestation of Christ in the world. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So you see, we need to be showing people that we, have, that we are in Christ because we have been called out of darkness into His light. And we are to show forth the praise of God to the world, praising God because He brought us into Christ. We who were not the people of God, we were born in enmity with God. Amen. None of you were born Christians. We have been brought into a relationship, into union with Christ. Why? Because we obtained mercy. That's what Peter said. Listen, we experienced all of what this verse, verse 1 in our text, describes. We cried out for God to save us through Christ. And in so doing, we became the people of God. Man, let that sink in for just a minute. We are the people of God. That which the world could never provide. We found it in Christ. Now we have to be able to show that to the lost. And we can let them know that we remember what it was like when we were without God and we were without hope in this world. But that once we went to Christ, we found consolation and love and fellowship and mercy. But what is the problem? The problem is we become hardened through the difficulties of life. Through our experiences, our hardships, we can lose our compassion. When we lose our compassion, it becomes a detriment to this church and to the cause of Christ. In other words, our outreach efforts. Generally speaking... I'd imagine there's some oddballs out there. But generally speaking, people don't like being around those who are miserable. Just think about the opposite of these attributes. Harshness, hatred, disunity. Merciless. Who wants to be around a church like that? Who wants to be around people who are miserable all the time? Man, you, you really ought to come to our church because you, listen, you want to know what harshness is like? You can experience it at our church. Hey, why don't you come to our church where you can know what the meaning of dysfunctional is? No. Nobody's attracted to that. Not in the real life. 
I know some of you like to watch dramas and all that. God help you. We have to live out verse 1 is what I'm saying. So how do we accomplish that? Well, this is what Paul addresses in verses 2 through 4. And then he'll give Christ as our example in verses 5 through 8. But look again at verses 2 through 4. It says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we are unified in Christ in verse 1. And we are to be unified with each other in verse 2. And since these traits are found in Christ, and because you are in Christ, we are in Christ, we should be exhibiting these traits. Therefore, you should be able to fulfill ye my joy, not me, but fulfill ye my joy. Or what Paul is saying is, you can allow my cheerfulness to overflow. He had already expressed his joy for them in chapter 1, but now he is requesting that his joy would be topped off. Amen. That it would overflow. He was already on the receiving end of hardships. Paul had been through a lot. And he looks to them to bring his joy beyond what he can contain. And how could they achieve this for Paul? How could they fulfill his joy? It's what the rest of verse 2 says which is essentially living in harmony with each other. Paul had been through so much in seeing this church established. The beatings that he he took, the imprisonments. He had been through a lot to see this church in Philippi established. And you can imagine how it would bring him joy to know that they are unified. And this is what any pastor wants for his flock. Don't you know that our unity brings Pastor Williams joy. The man labored here for 36 years. And how heartbreaking would it be to have to step back and let someone else take over and then the church just get disunified, implode, we shut the doors. 36 years. Nothing destroys a church like infightings, at least in America. Nobody's threatening to close us down tonight. What's going to stop Liberty Baptist Tabernacle as of right now? I'll tell you what will stop it is when we all start getting cantankerous and we start fighting with each other. I mentioned before, Paul doesn't really have to upbraid this church. It's not like he's speaking to the Corinthians or the Galatians. But he does address a problem. And I just, he's going to address it later on, but if you'll look just ahead for a moment in chapter 4 and verse 2, I want you to notice this. I beseech, how do you say this? I beseech Euodius, that's pretty good, amen? And beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. He's begging these two. He's begging these two women that they would get along. That they would be of the same mind. Obviously, I'll say more about this when we get to chapter 4. But he's talking to two women. Did I mention that yet? (laughs) 
How often is there divisiveness between women? And listen, I'm not being ugly, but that's often the case. And we see it manifested in the earliest ages. You know, boys, for the most part, they get along with each other pretty well. But you work with the, uh, the teens, the young people. You know, there's a term out there, it's called drama queen. And that term came out before the transgender movement, so don't try that one on me. Drama queen. Well, I better save that for another time. No sense in having you mad at me twice. So Paul says, if you want to make my joy to be filled up in the midst of my hardship, he's saying, please be unified together. Listen, you two here, y'all need to be of the same mind. He knew that there was a schism that was beginning within this church in Philippi. And so we are to be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And again, this is a continuation of what he already stated over chapter 1 and verse 27, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. And so what we find here is that when we're unified, it'll bring joy to the congregation. You can't be joyful when there's division within a body. You're not happy in your marriage when there's no unity. And you're not going to be happy in church if there isn't any unity either. Did I just see a bunch of husbands and wives look at each other on that one? We are to be unified to the point that our joy is overflowing. We have to be one in Christ. It says that you be like-minded. This is when we all think the same thing concerning the things of God. We are to be like-minded in doctrine and in truth. We are to be fully in agreement with what God's Word clearly says. 3 John in verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Having the same love, we are unified in our love for each other. And this is what it means. We don't love this one over here more than we love that one over there. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to love each other equally. And we understand that we are all growing and maturing. Amen. And that's what gives us the patience to deal with those that may otherwise be unlovable. We have to have the same love. We don't love more over here and less over here. And, and listen, you've got to understand that at one time you may have been just like the person that you can't stand to be around. Don't forget that you had to grow and mature in Christ as well. Never forget that you haven't arrived yet. Being of one accord, we are all to be marching to the same beat. One accord. We don't want to be out of step with God and we should desire to be in tune with Christ and in tune with each other. Be of one mind. There needs to be harmony of the same mission in promoting Christ to this world. We are to be unified behind the common goal of reaching sinners with the gospel. And I believe we could extend this to being unified in our vision as a church as well. We have a property we could build on. And we ought to be unified with that thought that once the finances are available, we are going to move into a bigger facility. And we need to be of one mind. 
And so the charge that Paul is giving them is, look, you guys should strive to be perfectly unified. Without discord, without schism, without divisions, y'all should be getting along. There should not be strife and contention within the church. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank out of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so if you're a member of this fellowship tonight, then we've all been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Just like the picture with the Old Testament saints there. They were all baptized. That's what the Red Sea crossing was a picture of. Amen. Wall of water on each side, a cloud of water above them. Baptized. We've all been baptized. We all eat of the same spiritual meat. We all eat from the same book. Amen. We all drink from the same spiritual drink. This is unity. And and listen, I want you to understand that unity is attainable and it is sustainable. It is not out of grasp. It is something that can be had and should be had by every church. But wait just a minute. Even still, Paul wrote immediately following what I just read you, that in 1 Corinthians 10.5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. You see, there was disunity in the camp of Israel. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad. Two were good. There was disunity with the leadership. There was disunity with God. And God dealt with it. And so how do we prevent from being divided? Well, the answer is given in verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's how you get unified. In short, we could say this. We will be unified when we lose our pride. And we humble ourselves before God and each other. We must do things for the right reasons. And we must, view, we must not view others above ourselves. We need to live like we are in Christ. Exhibiting the attributes of consolation, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, and bows and mercies. May we be unified as a church body. Our joy and our effectiveness depends on us being unified. Being like-minded, having the same love being of one accord and being of one mind.